This is the Intuitive Leadership Mastery Podcast. What would it take for you to double your profits and half your stress with your intuition? Learn how with your host, Michael Light. So I'm here today with, with UV and Mike from Future Thinkers. Um, maybe it's best if you pronounce your names for the audience. Sure. I'm Mike Gilliland. And I'm Yuvi Ivanova. Thanks for doing that. I'm not sure I could quite get my tongue around those. And uh, you have a great podcast, Future Thinkers. And uh, I've also followed your stuff on Facebook. And I'm guessing you have a website somewhere too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Futurethinkers.org. Excellent. And today we're going to be talking about uh, how business is changing ever faster. And uh, as we move into the future, the speed of change just seems to be going kind of vertically upwards and how business intuition can help with that. So t- t- can we talk a bit about the speed of change of business? Do you, do you really think business is changing faster these days or is this just an illusion? Or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. We're part of a lot of entrepreneurship communities. We engage a lot about entrepreneurship and discussions with people. Uh, we talk about the rate of automation and change. And um, it's interesting to note that uh, what be- the product life cycles of products and niches and trends seem to be extremely fast, six months to a year now, whereas you could see a whole industry rise and fall within a decade, just a couple decades ago. So that's probably what's most interesting. How quickly are industries rising and falling now? I think within a year and probably shrinking every year or two. Yeah, sometimes down to a few months. Especially if it's digital. Yeah. Yeah. So that means within a few, you know, three to six months, a whole industry could arise, be successful, and then fall. Yeah, and I think not so much fall in in the way that nothing replaces it. It's just that iterations, especially in digital technologies, uh, can, like, a platform can rise and be replaced Mm. within that that amount of time. What what are some examples of platforms recently that have come and gone so quickly or been replaced? Uh, Well, one interesting example is the DAO. It didn't even get uh, the chance to really perform but it was the biggest crowdfunding campaign that ever got funded. It, for background, it was um, a cryptocurrency or a, a cryptography-based platform uh, for basically a venture capital investing platform. And uh, it got funded over $100 million. And then uh, somebody used an exploit in the code. And uh, basically, they had to shut it down. And it was a huge scandal. Mm-hmm. And not only that, you can go a layer deep on that and say that Ethereum, the platform that the DAO, which stands for Digital Autonomous Organization, or Decentralized Autonomous Organization, yeah. um, the platform Ethereum that it was built on is now facing a lot of controversy because of that. And now there are new platforms for building decentralized applications popping up all over the place. We just heard of a new one that was funded yesterday. And so there's this situation of like these giant organizations putting all this work in and then the next generation of innovators stand on the shoulders of giants, make a couple of tweaks to the platform and rise to the top. And that can happen very quickly. So this would be like in the old days, you know, black and white television came out and then that lasted for several decades and then color TV came out and then high definition TV. But what you're saying and, and those 
you know, went on for a long period of time. But you're saying with modern technologies, it might only be a few months for something to emerge and then be replaced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty amazing. So that sounds like it would create some problems for CEOs and other business leaders uh, mm-hmm. dealing with this. What what kind of issues do you do you see people having? Well, a lot of people. I'm reading a book right now called Platform Revolution. I was just listening to about an hour of it right before we got on the call. And what they talk about is that entrepreneurs need to find a a good balance between um, openness and closeness of their platform. So uh, companies like Apple right now are are in trouble a little bit because of how closed their platform is. When they make a decision, that's the law. Um, Other platforms that are more open tend to, in my personal opinion, because I'm I'm more on the side of openness, I think those platforms have the potential to last a lot longer. Um, but that's what this entrepreneurship is almost becoming about is, is not the products or services you sell, but the platform that provides products and services and connects peers to peers. So an example of a platform would be the iOS platform of software approved to run on your iPhone. Yes. Um, and what you're saying is the phone makes out a certain amount of money for Apple, but really the platform where they approve and take a percentage of the apps that are sold for the iPhone is where they really make the money. Exactly. And then platforms, Airbnb, um, Uber, all of these platforms are making an absolute killing because of this peer-to-peer connection that they're making. But even that as a whole, this whole platform revolution that's occurring if you look at what's happening in the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and blockchain markets, you can see that there's a, a really fast moving trend towards decentralization of these platforms, which means the CEOs and shareholders are not going to be able to uh, have their ownership of these platforms any longer. And or at why, least it'll, why, it'll change. Um, why do you think that decentralization and open sourcing of platforms is occurring? Um, well, I think for a lot of people, it's just a different ideology and they're seeing an opportunity to create platforms that can evolve to the needs of the users and be more democratic rather than be centralized and, you know, behind a a wall in some silo controlled by a few people. Yeah. It's about its incentives in this situation. So when you're, you become a big centralized entity uh, that you own the information or you own the platform, um, your incentives, once you have the monopoly in, in the industry, your incentives are to defend your position. However, when uh, the platform that you're operating in is decentralized, you can't own the platform. You can't become the middleman and you can't create silos of information. You can't become dominant. So your incentive is always to uh, benefit the network and benefit the entire network of users. So, you know, when Airbnb or Uber, for example, become the dominant leaders in their, their respective spaces, um, their, their only incentive is to increase the friction for people to leave the platform and increase the percentage of um, uh, the revenue that they take from each transaction. So it's the only way that they really add value for their own shareholders is by doing that. They no longer have to innovate and improve the experience of the user. 
And that's kind of what's happening with Apple right now. A lot of people are noticing that the quality of the products is going down. And, you know, the last iPhone release was a joke and it didn't have a headphone jack. And they're not innovating. They're just doing ridiculous stuff for show. profit. Yeah. And that kind of stuff would not happen in a truly democratic organization that was owned by the customers. So what I'm hearing is it's a combination of people wanting to have more control over their platform that they use by making it democratic but also it seems motivated by uh the platform itself if you regard it as having intelligence and um, wanting to evolve wanting to evolve faster and and be better Mm -hmm. i think it's it's for me it's about incentives for the platform creators it's um if you can in these the new types of organizations that are evolving right now uh, a lot of people are trying to remove the incentive for mi- becoming a silo or becoming a middleman. And that's, yeah. So the, the result of this is that the platforms uh, are evolving much faster than they used to when they were closed. Is that the case? Uh, yeah, it's definitely a result. Um, it's one of many results, though. Mm-hmm. But there, with more developers, more people participating in, in the growth of the product or the platform, yeah, definitely the speed's going to pick up. And is this just apply to technology or are there platforms in other areas of business? I think it's primarily applied to technology because uh, technology has the ability to evolve much quicker than other things. Uh, especially digital technology, mm-hmm. because it, it has, you know, according to Moore's law, um, it's, its price performance is improving and doubling every, I don't know how many months. Seven, six months or something, but there's a wall at the end of that, though. Yeah. And, well, with quantum computing now, they might be able to overcome that. And But um, in terms of uh, physical Technology, it's definitely evolving slower. But nowadays, with the Internet of Things, even physical technologies are becoming linked to the Internet and they're becoming digitized. So they will also evolve quicker. Yeah, technology is eating the world. There's not going to be too many things left that are not influenced or directly ported over into digital environments. Including ourselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, we just uh, did an interview that was really interesting. We talked about how artificial intelligence is not necessarily a standalone thing. In the future, it will be something that we are connected to. We're already connected to it. You know, every time we use Google, we're extending our intelligence by using artificial intelligence. Right. So this can affect uh, all kinds of social interactions and uh, forms of organization. So, um, and what I'm thinking is, yes, the technology is in there, uh, and also, you know, with the, the, what the DAO was trying to achieve was to automate, you know, how companies are run and, and their contracts and things like that and speed up uh, that aspect of business. Yeah. Uh, so with the whole speed up of how things are changing, you know, they're changing, life cycles have got a lot shorter change is happening faster um where does that lead leave people who uh, want to lead a business i'm i'm a little pessimistic for ceos but i'm optimistic for society um and as as an entrepreneur myself i'm i, I can definitely see a lot of uh opportunities still left 
in platforms and I can see opportunities with huge opportunities with crypto markets and, and blockchain technologies. But, um, I mean, yeah, I'm really, I'm really on the fence about whether this whole organization system, whether capitalism is even something that's going to survive the next 10 or 15 or 20 years. So, um, I might be the wrong person to ask about this because I don't, I don't know that the entrepreneur or business leader is going to be so relevant in the future. It might have to change. I think, um, it's possible that entrepreneurs will have to be replaced by visionaries and inventors. You, you give birth to an idea or you inspire people to work on something together and then you put it out into the world and in, in a decentralized network you don't really own it after that anymore yeah mm. so it's almost like the but then there's things that can happen out of that that are very positive so i'm very i'm very optimistic on a social sense and in in that way i think things like block or uh, sorry um, uh, basic income will really change how people view entrepreneurship and how how commerce is is participated in um so like, blockchain would be a way to implement a basic income Mm-hmm. which I think is pretty interesting. So all of a sudden, if people are taken care of and they can you know, focus on what they want to do on their projects, their innovations without the worry of paying rents or buying food, um, they may be a lot more willing to create these platforms and, and applications that solve big problems in the world, but then they don't have an ownership of that. They, they have no more ownership than anyone who could who would donate money to create the application. Um, so, so essentially, they'd be donating the project. So mm-hmm. you're seeing the end of business as we know it? Is that what you're saying? Business in the form that, it is, that it's in? I see the end of capitalism. Mm-hmm. I don't see the end of innovation and entrepreneurship. Yeah, I think we might just change the way that we look at it because right now we're living in a centralized society. So it's, uh, you know, put your wall around it, intellectual property, you control and command Mm-hmm. Whereas if we are living in a decentralized society, it might be more about creating and inspiring. So do you think whatever format this takes, whether it's capitalist or business or a cooperative society, is the pace of change going to slow down? Will the number of decisions people have to make decrease in the future? No, I, I think, think it just so. builds on top of what we've already done. I think with, with this coming change, it's going to bring more minds in, onto the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, more people will be innovating. More people will be creating applications. Um, the, the incentives for doing those things might change. But I think people with, with free time and with capital will, will pursue projects that are of benefit to the world. Mm-hmm. So what challenge does this give to whoever's doing this, whether they're CEOs or leaders of open source campaigns or platforms? Um, in dealing with the pace of change and the enormous quantity of information coming in? Well, processing information is definitely going to be a problem um, because, you know, our brains are limited in that way that we can only consciously process a certain number of bits at a time. Uh, So I think we'll have to plug ourselves in or connect ourselves to some sort of artificial intelligence to help us process all that information. The other option is the way the business has just been typically going is um, to niche down further and further. 
So you've got to find your market and your niche uh, and go deeper into that direction. So either augmenting the human abilities to process the information uh, and decisions with computer power uh, or restricting how many decisions and how much information I have to process by niching down even further. Mm-hmm. Another thing I'm seeing, though, is that the, the solopreneur is, is probably going to have less and less power to do anything. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, I think it's going to be more vital for people to collaborate together to build uh, any, anything that's going to be of value or going to be able to compete. Mm-hmm. Mm. So uh, where, where does use of the business intuition fit into working with all this pace of change? Again, it comes back to incentives. I think if people are not so focused on their, themselves and the benefit of their own project or their shareholders. Um, sorry, repeat your question again. So traditionally in business, people analyze things logically. They think through step by step. Okay, there's this change. Here's what I'm going to do to my business because of this technology change. Maybe they have uh, you know documents or spreadsheets, but it's all thought out logically. Um, and what I'm suggesting is that, that there's just too much change and too much information to deal with to be able to do that all the time. And coming to decisions intuitively uh, is a way to cut through um, that. Uh, right, that right. I remember. So I was saying um, people's incentives change for innovation. So they're going to be focused more on um, I think benefiting society. Like if you think of Maslow's pyramid of needs, when the basic levels of needs are taken care of, you know, food, uh, shelter, clothing, um, you start to move up the chain just naturally into more altruistic, externally focused, societally focused uh, motivations. So I think intuition plays a role into that in that we're not like the individualistic way that we operate now is against our evolved nature as, you know, primates that exist in a society and we're social creatures. And I think this whole, like, nearly psychopathic, individualistic behavior that we have is against the grain of what we naturally do. And by taking away the incentives to participate in that system, we'll probably naturally uh, play into our intuitions and, and the intuitions will be a benefit to to society. And in terms of uh, what you're saying with having too much information. Um, yeah, I definitely think that we underutilize our subconscious mind, um, especially, and it does have to do with incentives because we're trying to please the shareholders or we're trying to make the most money possible. But um, a lot of the time we make much better decisions when we're not focused on those things. And we kind of just... How would I say it without sounding too woo? You can sound woo woo. That's okay. <laughs> um, I guess listen to your higher self. I would. That's how I would describe it. Because sometimes we just have these aha moments when, you know, when we're relaxed and when we're not trying to be scheming and calculating, uh, and we just get these ideas that are larger than life. And if we follow those ideas, we can make really beautiful things happen. Mm. I, I'm just wondering, I think that's true, and also I think it's possible to separate the ego scheming, calculating from the mode of thought used to express that, whether it's rational mind or intuitive mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can use my intuitive mind to, to serve my ego, if my ego has some calculating business goal, or I can have it serve my 
higher self's goal for improving, you know, the world, or I can have my rational mind serve my higher self's goal. So I, I sort of see those as independent dimensions uh, in this, um, yeah. which are kind of interesting. <laughs> um, so, and and I I see this as a a thing that helps now. I mean, you know, a, a typical situation that all business people have is hiring where they're overwhelmed with choices and information it's very hard to make the you know the perfect hiring choice because you don't have full information at the time you're doing the interviewing uh, and selection so i find that's a good example of use of intuition uh, together with rational selection mm-hmm. yeah there's when you talked about the ego you uh, you reminded me of a good point i think like people think they're in a lot more control of what they do and what they think on a daily basis. But ask, you know, anyone who walks to work, like what they saw along the walk there. And most people are absorbed in some sort of past or future event and, and feel like they've teleported from home to work. So I think there's <laughs> Maybe tons they of examples. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's tons of examples of, um, of behavior that you can uncover that is completely unconscious. I mean, you're not making your, this is kind of a dumb thing to say, actually. So like you're, you're not, you're not operating your body. Your body is pretty much autonomous. Mm-hmm. So you're not operating your organs or anything. Um, yeah, maybe that's true. Some many, people. many people's businesses, they're not really operating their business. It's kind of autonomous. Yeah. So I think, um, I think admitting that we're not fully, uh, conscious of every minute of our day and that there we're still operating functionally and then practicing with whatever kind of subconscious or intuition um, you might have that that might actually serve you a lot better it certainly has for me because my upbringing and the way I've always operated in business has been very cerebral very forceful very like logical and when i stepped away from that a little bit to just kind of go with the flow (laughs) a little more and let my intuition guide me i've made way better decisions things have happened way quicker um yeah that's i seem to attract the kind of people i'm looking for what can you give some examples of better decisions or better experiences that you've had since doing that uh well definitely maybe that's a little hard to uncover um Definitely, I've been able to communicate the vision a lot more when I've just followed what's in, you know, in my heart more than what the logical plan is. Mm. Um, I think think generally just maybe it's part of the woo side of things or maybe it's part of synchronicity. We've talked about these things a lot in our podcast, but um, I think just not worrying about things and, and letting things happen the way they will. I mean, that's easy to say, but it's, it's very difficult to turn off the worry. But if you can figure out a way to do that and operate just comfortably in any situation, I think you make far better decisions. Mm. I mean, that's why they do training like that in the army and, and for paramedics and that sort of thing. Like you need to be able to operate calmly without getting emotionally overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So that in itself, I think, plays a big role. But I think there's also some sort of. I don't know, higher level quantum probability fluctuation, quantum field thing that might be happening where you're actually able to be in the right place at the right time a lot more when you're you're uh, in that sort of calm, open state. So you're, you're saying a lot of the training that happens in for, for doctors, you know, surgeons, people, you know, military, 
is so that they are able to function in a chaotic situation uh, and stay in that flow state. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And then it sounds like the same thing will be true for business uh, people in the future. Uh I think people who are emotionally stable and kind of come from, you, you notice how like, some of the best entrepreneurs, the most socially aware entrepreneurs are ones that have gone through just the shit and the muck their whole lives and then come out of it and became this big success story. CEO of of Patreon is kind of like that. He's been an artist his whole life, a musician his whole life. And then one day he built this platform that solved exactly his own problem because he was immersed in it his whole life. Mm. So I think that sort of immersion in whatever situation, uh, you know, where you actually need to perform having a lot of practice over time is probably the most beneficial thing. Mm-hmm. Is there any other way to, to get intuition other than years of practice? I think it's <clears throat> for me, it's about listening to the right part of myself. Mm. Um, because for example, you know, if I'm just worrying, uh, worrying about money or worrying about, some sort of outcomes, I'm overly attached to outcomes, then I make terrible decisions. But if there's always that other part of me that uh, if I listen to it, it often solves the problem in a very un, like unexpected way. Mm-hmm. And um, Makes for me... inspired leap in solving the problem. Exactly. Like, um, there's a, we were talking to a friend recently and uh, he gave a really great analogy, which is, I can't remember from which teacher, but it's the idea that when we're using our rational mind, we can only see a few feet ahead of ourselves. And if we pick a destination and then try to go there, it might be really, really hard because everybody else is also choosing the same destination and trying to go there. And it's very crowded. But if, if we use our um, intuitive mind or higher self or whatever you want to call it, then you're, you know, you're like on top of a mountain and you see for miles around you and you might see, Oh, actually that's not even where I want to go. I want to go over there Mm. and you can make that leap very easily. Um, And for me, one thing that's really helped with understanding kind of which part of me is talking is meditation. Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask you how do you manage? How did you manage to turn this on? So yeah, meditation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me it happens like in the span of five minutes of meditation because I think mm. because I've got the practice to get into that state very quickly, mm-hmm. where I, I can turn off thought and, and sustain that for at least five minutes. So uh, that definitely helps with solving problems and decision making. Now, I'm going to imagine for some people listening, the idea of turning off thought is somewhat frightening. (laughs) (laughs) You could rephrase. I mean, you could say anything's frightening before you do it, and then you realize it's not. Mm. Um, Yeah, I think once you do it, it becomes more of a blissful state than a frightening state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think in, in Western society, there's definitely such a, focus on thinking but there are many ways of thinking like it's not even turning off thought so much as turning off sort of rational logical thought Mm -hmm. because you know um your body can have its own way of signaling or you could call it quote unquote thinking but it's not the same rational thinking um that you know like oh i need to get from a to b and this is the most Mm -hmm. logical path Mm -hmm. 
So it's only turning off the part of your mind that will get in your way of having these intuitive thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're exactly. Not, you're not killing it. You're just putting it to one side. Yeah. But then you've got to wonder, like, what is that? If you're turning off the logical, intuitive, self-talking monkey mind, whatever you want to call it, then who are you if you're not those thoughts? And that's sort of that we could go down a rabbit hole for a long time in that discussion. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's a meditation is also a self discovery process. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned turning off worry earlier. Um, can we dig a little more into why that's an issue for a CEO if they have a lot of worries going on in their head? Because isn't that a very common experience for business leaders that they're constantly worrying? We um, we've got some friends staying with us right now, and we've talked a bit with them. Um, they've had some financial troubles and we've talked about us being in that situation many times in the past and about the kinds of decision-making that you have when you're in financial trouble versus when you're comfortable. Mm. And you tend to like cast a lot of lines to try and bring in any fun, any money you can. And you flip from one project to another. Um, you do things for money, not because it's the right thing to do or the thing that's in line with your vision or your purpose. And so I, I think your decision making is, is actually ruined by worry. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a corrosive uh, effect on making yeah. the decision that would be best for your business and best for you. Yeah. Yeah. And if we look on the health side, um, chronic stress is one of the worst things that you can do to yourself. I mean, it's, you know, it's <laughs> up there with smoking. It's really, really bad for health. So, uh, in the long term, if a person is constantly worrying, they're just destroying their health and destroying their ability to perform and do things in the future. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you imagine that in the future airlines will ban worrying on flights and there will be special worrying rooms at the airport for people who <laughs> have to get their worrying session in? <laughs> <laughs> Well, in a society where people are not so worried all the time, other people being worried is nothing to worry about. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, anyone can go be worried and do their thing. You're not worried about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, basically, not being affected by other people's worry is a... You know the next level of that skill. Yeah. How how do you achieve not being affected by other people's worry? Because many people are affected by other people's worry around them. Well, your own worry is far more powerful. So if you get your own worry taken care of, I think it's a lot easier to not worry about other people. So plus, you'll find yourself leaving the room a lot more in that mm-hmm. situation if you recognize someone else is causing you stress and you're managing your own worry first. You'll just figure a, figure out a way not to be there. Mm. So we don't have to worry about secondhand worry from other people. Secondhand worry. Worry about it if you don't know how to solve your own worry, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) How does this, I mean, worry is one of the forms of negative energy that people give out. Um, What what about other negative emotions that staff or customers may give out? Mm, Trying to be overly controlling. We kind of touched on that earlier, but mm-hmm. um, being overly attached to specific results or behaviors or 
you know, trying to meet certain numbers on a spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> um, although that is how our society is currently built, a lot of the time people have quotas to meet and things like that. Um, but actually, I think that focusing on those things can sometimes prevent them from happening because I don't think that our world is linear. I think that we exist in this 3D space that appears linear, um, but there are actually other layers to it. And, yeah. you know, quantum physics has is, is shown that, that there are more dimensions to reality than what we normally perceive. And I know that's kind of a far out there thought that people don't usually think about on a daily basis, but yeah, trying to force things to happen sometimes is not the best way to make them happen. So by using the intuitive part of yourself and your higher self, you're able to access more dimensions and more information effectively. You don't have to subscribe to that belief, but just letting your mind stop focusing so heavily on on the problem allows you to sometimes see the solution. Just just that sort of relaxing and then waiting for the intuition to hit you. I think like you could you could come up with a thousand reasons for that why that happens or sources for that happening. But yeah, I think if people don't subscribe to the kind of multiple layers of reality, they can think of it as using their left brain and right brain and you know if you're always using your left brain for the logical and the a to b kind of linear thinking um you're well you're only using half your brain and if you relax and allow your right brain to take over then those kinds of creative holistic big vision uh solutions can come to you easier yeah i mean uh, you know that's maybe why so many problems get solved when someone's taking a shower or a walk Exactly. They turned yeah. off that logical mind and the problem went on the back burner and that's when it gets resolved. Yeah. And if we're always running around busy trying to do logical tasks and cram as much into our day as possible and never be, quotes bored, you know, by doing nothing, like meditating, mm -hmm. then <laughs> we're not allowing that extra ability to come in. Yeah. And that's I think that's another reason why travel can be so helpful especially unstructured travel like you know you're not part of a tour group you just go and you explore a new city by yourself or you you know new location doesn't have to be a city um i think a lot of people start seeing their world in a different way after these kinds of experiences and it's it's the same thing because you're out of your normal routine out of your normal problem solving state which can help you connect the dots in a different way that you didn't even think was possible before. Right. That makes sense. So, you know, can we extrapolate a little further into the future here? Um, you know, if, if right now the top business leaders are using their intuition to get decisions done faster and to live in more flow, where would this, you know, where, what's the next level of this? Uh, it depends on what you're trying to achieve. Like every individual is, is different. Um, I do think about incentives and, and, uh, what, and what drives people quite a lot. And I think about needs. So I use Maslow's hierarchy of needs in almost any discussion about the future. Because right now I think our society, especially in, in Western society, we're, we're in the higher levels or we should be in the higher levels because most of our needs are taken care of, but we're wrapped up in things that are, are not really a threat. 
um, like food and, you know, worrying about your job security and this kind of stuff. Like we're wrapped up in things that aren't, uh, for altruism or the benefit of the planet, but the rest of the world is actually literally stuck there. Like they, they cannot graduate up those things until the, up the hierarchy until their needs are, needs are met. So, um, as far as what people want to accomplish, like CEOs and that sort of thing, I think the world would benefit a lot more if everyone just kind of rose up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So that could be for the Western world information about how, you know, you're not, things are not as bad as you think they are. Let's focus on, on how to make the world better instead of how to, you know, pad your bank account um, or achieve status symbols or status in, in your business. Um, but for the rest of the world, I think literally doing the work to get them up the ladder, providing food, providing energy, that sort of stuff. Uh, I think if everyone moved up the ladder, we'd see a lot more benefit in the world, um, collective benefit. Right. Because when people aren't stressed about their lower level needs, they can be more relaxed about creating new things in their life. Exactly. So is this moving towards um, a kind of global consciousness, as um, uh, Kevin Kelly puts it, the holos, where all the computers and all the minds on the planet are engaged together? I definitely think so. Um, yeah, we just, in the interview that I just mentioned earlier, we were talking about that, how currently our brain-to-computer-to-brain interface is really, really primitive. And as that improves, we'll be able to communicate a lot more easily. We'll be able to, you know, have AI and databases that are extensions of our mind and that seamlessly integrate. So when we're thinking, for example, trying to remember something, uh, it's not a, a it's not a forceful thing like it happens instantly or, you know, we're trying to uh, right now, if we look at big data and we have some computer crunching the numbers and trying to understand what it means, instead of looking at that on a 2d screen, we could be in it in VR and we could be plugged in and perceiving that data directly into our mind uh, and integrating with our existing concepts. So yeah, I think that brain to brain, and brain-to-computer interfaces, as they get better, we will kind of reach this almost hive mind. I don't think it'll be uniform. I don't think it'll be like the Borg, like we are assimilated, we are one. <laughs> um, but I think we will be a lot more connected, and uh, it will definitely be a new level of consciousness. Well, it sounds a very exciting future that we're heading towards. Yeah, it's a lot of turmoil, but I'm, it's, I'm very excited. Great. Thanks. So um, it's been great talking with you, Evie and Mike. And my name is Michael Smith with the Intuitive Business Growth Book. And um, tell our listeners again where they can catch up with you. We, they can find us at futurethinkers.org. And um, that's where our podcast lives. And that's where some of our new projects live. I think by the time this will be released, it will probably be further along. We're actually... Um, in the early stages of building a new type of uh, startup accelerator and incubator in Bulgaria, which will focus on decentralized technologies and VR and some of these futuristic ideas. So, so that will yeah. make Bulgaria more than the next Chiang Mai. It will be beyond that. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs>
Well, Someone said the, the mecca of blockchain. Is <laughs> <laughs> I like the sound of that. Yeah. Well, it's been great talking with you. Thanks so much for all your interesting uh, ideas and questions. Thanks, Thanks for, for inviting us. us. Get strategies and show notes at intuitiveleadershipmastery.com. What would it take to see you here next time on the Intuitive Leadership Mastery Podcast?